Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as the best insight and analysis and all the topics you're talking about in football. This is Wednesday's podcast, which means it's your questions answered. And I'm delighted to say that answering those questions alongside me, Ian McGarry, is Duncan Castles, of course. Nowhere else to start, Duncan, than um, the big Monday night football. 1-1 between um, Manchester United and Arsenal at Old Trafford. Uh, Fallout has seen lots and lots of you guys, our listeners, um, basically asking the same question um, in various ways. And that is... What now for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? What now for Manchester United? Where is this going to get better? And if it's not, where is it going to end? Duncan, um, you have been putting some rather um, shocking, I would say, as well as worrying um, uh, tweets out on our timeline regarding Manchester United's recent performances. For the listeners' benefits who may not have seen them, would you just like to give us uh, the record of uh, Ole so far in his last few games? Well, they're now on a run of two wins in 12 Premier League games. Um, they are currently um, holding a club record, seven Premier League away games without a win. Um, they've scored a, more than one goal just once in their last 15 matches in all competitions, including um, dates with the might of Astana and Rochdale. Um, they are 10th after seven Premier League games, which is the club's worst start in three decades. Um, so, yeah, it's quite a, a collection. I think um, even that's more... That's more like a rap sheet than it is a, um, a record for football manager. <laughs> People have been put away for less. Yeah, but um, you'd listen to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after the match last night and he comes out with comments such as, we are at the start of building something and I felt today as well we're going somewhere. Um, and then in the uh, the general uh, press conference, um, he says that uh, when asked specifically about um, producing the worst start in 30 years at Manchester United in the league. He said um, six out of seven games, good performances. West Ham, we know, was below par, but still not as bad as you lot, um, the press, made it out to be. Um, I, I don't see these going down well with the Manchester United support. I mean, I see a lot of responses uh, to the, the building something comment from Solskjaer as, uh, branding him Bob the Builder and, um, and declaring but, but- that but can he fix it? Because Bob always did. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not the most appropriate um, uh, label to attach to him because uh, along with the, the, the comments of Bob the Builder, it's um, when, when commenting on we are going somewhere, the, 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 the uh, common response is, yes, the championship. <laughs> uh, Harsh. Which, 
Which I think is harsh. Um, although that you know, two wins in twelve Premier League games is a shocking um, run of results for a club of Manchester United status with the quality of players they have. Um, this team isn't going to get relegated. It's not. It's not that bad. Um, so, so good news for Manchester United fans then. <laughs> I think the I think the the biggest concern about all of this is one the way Solskjaer is talking about it and, and you know with managers in these situations you always try and um, as a journalist you try and read between the lines and um, look for the messages the hidden messages and um, work out what they're really feeling about things and and I think watching Solskjaer talk about this you you get the, the impression he actually believes quite a lot of what he's saying. He, it, it's this you know, defence of we're building something and six out of the seven games were good performances. He does genuinely seem to think that those um, seven Premier League matches, the only poor performance was West Ham United. Um, and you know, listening to him in more detail, he, sort of, he constantly talks about how many chances they create and um, it's just a failure to put the, the chances away and um, uh, inability to score a second goal. Well, yes, there is an inability to score a second goal. They've only done it once in 15 games and that was against the Chelsea side that who played pretty much kamikaze football. Uh, Old Trafford, um, a very exciting, ambitious way about going about the first game of the season, but left themselves wide open and perfectly suited to to being scored against by Manchester United's fast counter-attacking players who were still on a high off a off a positive set of pre-season results. Um, but you know, we we obviously we've talked through quite a lot of these games and performances, and we pointed out that there are. You know, there's significant shortcomings in the way the team are playing. They don't, I don't think they've looked dominant against anyone. Um, I don't think you can say they were particularly unlucky um, not to win any of the games um, that they failed to win this season and and certainly at the tail end of last season when you you stretch this run back. In fact, you know, the, the... the last couple of wins they had in the Premier League at the end of last season, you could argue were fortunate. And most external observers at the time said they were quite fortunate to get away with, with those wins. So this this run could have been even worse. Um, their defensive errors in every game, despite the huge amount of money and resource that's been spent on the defence, so most expensive centre-back of all time, Harry Maguire, um, again, uh, seemed to be in a position of error um, playing Obama Young on side last night. Um, I, I don't think it's the worst error he's made of the quite considerable number of times he's been involved in Manchester United conceding goals, given that he's only just arrived at the club. But um, again, didn't look great when the centre-back is... Um, Playing the centre forward to start a yard across the pitch from him on side while while holding the left back's position and, and to to you know my on Maguire's side I would say he he obviously was trying to set himself up to give Tuanzebi an out 
like a ball to pass back to him so he could play it up the field, at which Tuanzebe elected not to take, pass to an Arsenal player and gave the, the goal away. But these defensive errors are repeating. Um, and I, look, I don't see them going away um, with the personnel they've got. I, I think we, on the transfer podcast, pointed out that Harry Maguire was an error-prone defender before he was signed that he lacks pace and he's positionally suspect. And we've seen that in his performances. And the, the only bit of that that can be solved is the positionally suspect dimension. So he could be coached into being better from a positional perspective, but he's never going to be any faster. Um, the midfield is hugely dependent on Paul Pogba, who is, as Paul Pogba has always been, um, can be brilliant. Um, in any one game um, but is rarely brilliant throughout a game and um, and is really consistently performed to a high level um, across games and in his time at Manchester United and the attack has Marcus Rashford who is um, clearly struggling with confidence and uh, Solskjaer is insisting he was fully fit to play last night. There were a lot of questions about whether he actually was. He's certainly come just back from one of many muscular injuries that Manchester United have suffered under the training regime that Solskjaer had promised would make a huge difference to the robustness of his players, to their ability to press the opposition, to play, play higher intensity football, to be a more attacking team. We haven't seen any of that yet. So... <laughs> That's problems in every area of the side and a manager who, I don't think, I think delusional is unfair, but he certainly seems to be in denial of the reality of where his club are, his team are. And I think you've got a board above him, and or at least an executive tier, who are giving out this message, sending out this message that they're, they we have to have patience in Solskjaer. We um, believe in what he's doing. We like the strategy of young British players. The overhaul is going to take up to three years to conclude. We have to stick with it. Um, the transfer window was a great success. Uh, um, you know, the, the message is coming from the club, both from the executive level and the manager, just don't match what we're seeing on the football pitch. And... Um, and I think that's a big, big worry for for Manchester United supporters. I agree with you about the um, <clears throat> the denial thing, Duncan. Especially um, listening to Solskjaer effectively say, um, "Well, we need to score that second goal because that's you know where we're going to win games." And I had a message and conversation with a Premier League coach after the match, and having heard those comments himself, and he text me and said did you hear what he said about scoring more goals in order to win football matches yeah you won't find that on any pro license coaching course <laughs> meaning it's so bloody obvious why is he even saying it and <clears throat> I think that's one of the problems that Solskjaer has um, when he first came to the club as interim manager he came with obviously the goodwill and the you know the fact that he could us as a player and everything else uh, the run since he was appointed um permanent manager has been nothing short of disastrous and he's now putting himself in a position it seems where he's almost putting his own credibility into um, jeopardy by the way he's responding to results 
to performances with these kind of um, interviews that he's giving. Yes, he's got every right, if he thinks it's correct, to be positive and upbeat, but the results tell a different story. And sometimes as a coach, you have to tell it how it is because you can't fool everyone all the time. And, you know, from all our um, listeners um, who have been asking questions about Solskjaer and his future, I agree with you. I think at the moment he does still have the faith of Edward Wood on the board, but a lot of that is down to the fact that Woodward was effectively appointed him and is telling the board that this is going to be okay. But as we know from Woodward's past record in terms of hiring and firing managers, the moment it reflects badly on him, he will pull the trigger. Simple as that. And it will be someone else's turn to get into the dugout and see if they can make it any better. I think one question which remains unanswered, um, because if you look at clubs, not the size necessarily of Manchester United, but let's just say Manchester City went into the doldrums for several years, played in um, the lower division, et cetera, et cetera, and it took uh, the transformation of money over two different owners to turn them into champions. But Manchester United don't have that as a problem. They have recorded the highest, second highest turnover of any club in Europe and in the world. Um, so throwing money at the problem is not the issue. So again, you've got to ask yourself, since they are one of the richest clubs in the world, why are they performing so badly um, when clearly they have the resources and assets to make it better? Well, top to bottom, the club is <clears throat> a mess. Um, the ownership are in it to make money. Um, they're not interested um, in the glory of, of winning trophies. How often do you see the Glazers actually at games, watching football matches? They are the executive vice chairman got his job on the back of helping them um, achieve their takeover of a club which was bought with um, a, a leverage takeover so effectively was, was from the club's own assets were used to pay for the purchase of the takeover. That's how he then became um, head of the commercial uh, business side of the club and, and was promoted to um, the chief executive role, which is a complex and difficult role in football and requires a lot of understanding and expertise of the game, particularly if you're going to get yourself involved in transfer negotiations and, conf and contract negotiations, which is an area that Ed Woodward has um, kept control of throughout his time as executive vice chairman. Um, and... They now have a manager who is clearly out of his depth, had not, has, doesn't have on his CV and any history demonstrating that he should be at this level of club. Um, as I asked you the other day, if, you know, if Solskjaer um, was to be dismissed uh, as manager of Manchester United, because we were talking about the possibility of Pochettino um, resigning his position at Tottenham and, and saying that Pochettino would be straight on the wish list of of the um, of the the biggest clubs in football, including Manchester United, obviously as uh, as the next candidate to come come in, where Solskjaer would be, um, I think he'd struggle to get a job from another Premier League side after this if he was to be sacked um, in the next month. Um, you know, you, you could see him end you know, up going back to Norwegian football um, for a third time. The playing staff should be performing. They are capable of performing better than 10th in the Premier League um, ahead of Burnley on goal difference, for sure. But it's an imbalanced squad um, and it, it, it needs uh, redirection. 
It needs quality coaches in charge of them. It, it needs to be trained the right way. They can't afford to have the, the number of muscular injuries they're, they're suffering because of the, the training regime that's, that's put in place. There are so many issues there. Um, I think you're right at commenting about you know, Solskjaer being overly positive in these press conferences. And I think he, he's probably missing a trick there in the sense that there is a large group of Manchester United supporters who want to see him succeed as manager. I think the majority of Manchester United supporters want to see him succeed as manager. And there's still a big chunk of Manchester United supporters who believe that he's the right person to turn things around and that the problems are down to Woodward, the Glazers or the players. And when you have that kind of um, audience to talk to, I think he would, if he was uh, clearer in, in, in being critical of the team in these situations and uh, and actually was a little bit more aggressive in saying this, is, this isn't what I'm looking for, uh, things have got to change, um, that would be quite well received by the support as opposed to what he was, what he has been saying and what he said last night, which is not well received at all. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's the worst game they've played this season. I actually thought it was a reasonably balanced match that they could have come out of with a win. But that was more down to the lack of quality on both sides. Um, I actually had a, a, a coach um, text me during the game saying, you know, half an hour into the game saying what a bad match this is. Um, you know, absolutely poor quality of football um, from from both sides. And I think, you know, you can't argue with that. It wasn't, there was there was nothing particularly impressive about either team during that game. So you're, yes, it wasn't a, an abominable performance, but if, let's say Manchester United had been up against Liverpool or Manchester City last night and had played that level of football they played and that style and that tactical approach, I think they'd have been quite comprehensively beaten by by both of those opponents. And and that's actually the the benchmark we're talking about. That's where Manchester United have to get themselves back to. Um, they have to be able to compete toe-to-toe with Manchester City and Liverpool. Um, and they're, you know, they're so far away from that at present. And but more worryingly, they're headed in the wrong direction. You don't see them getting closer to those two. You get you see them getting further away from those two at present. One of uh, the podcast's friends, Miss Blue Mooney, who I believe we've answered one of her questions before on uh, a Wednesday edition, has given us the opportunity, Duncan, to talk about the rise of Leicester City under Brendan Rodgers. Obviously, 5-0 demolition of Newcastle United last Sunday took them into third place in the Premier League. Um, a team which looks, to me, um, supremely balanced. I think the balance, unlike Manchester United, the balance in the Leicester team seems to be almost perfect with uh, the players in each position knowing exactly what their job is and being able to interplay with each other in order to make sure there's always that option for the next pass. Uh, and that's what we've seen so far. And Miss um, Blumini has asked this, and it's a very hypothetical one, obviously, but I think it's a good talking point. And she asks, would Brendan Rodgers have been a better fit for United than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Well, I think... Um, I think- Pretty much any experienced um, Champions League manager, because uh, that's what Brendan Rodgers is, 
um, would have been a better fit to Manchester United in terms of coaching ability, managerial ability. I, you, know, you do have the thing that Solskjaer has in his favour, which he understands the club, and he has that history with the club, and um, and that was and and it was well received when he first came in. But in terms of the the, act, the actual nuts and bolts of being a football manager at this level, I, Solskjaer is so far away from being the right fit. I think almost anyone of who has worked with a degree of success in the Champions League would have been a better fit. Um, I'm sure Brendan Rodgers would see himself as a Manchester United manager. In fact, um, I was once told by someone who, who knew Brendan Rodgers at the time when he was considering the Liverpool job that one of his considerations was if he took the Liverpool job that he would never be able to manage Manchester United in the future. And that was that shows you, I think, how highly Brendan Rodgers has always regarded himself because he was being presented with um, a job basically well above his his station at the time and being invited into Liverpool and was thinking maybe I maybe I need to turn this down because it's going to stop me getting the, the job I really want to have um, Do you think Duncan just on that point and because that's an interesting one do you think that in the situation Manchester has find themselves now do you think they really would the fans would say no to Brendan Rodgers because of his association with Liverpool I don't know I think that's one to put on social media and ask people um, what the response? Oh, we'll do. We'll do that after the podcast, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I I doubt he would be first choice um, of many Manchester United fans, and I doubt he'd be first choice even if he could sort of magically delete that Liverpool um, part of his his CV or the name Liverpool um, from his CV and and retain the achievement of almost getting close to winning the Premier League with a club, another club um, in his past. I think um, Manchester United fans want a higher quality uh, manager in there. And I think they're right. I think there are better managers um, available on the market. I think I think Rodgers has got himself into a very clever position with Leicester City. He took that job at the right time. Um, he knew the quality of squad they had. Um, and there, there is a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, but as you say, a balanced team um, that he inherited, who were playing pretty well. Um, you know, Claude Puel was was unpopular with the fans, but actually the 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 results weren't particularly poor. I mean, and I think most people in football think he was quite unfortunate to be sacked. So he inherited at a good time, and um, you, you have to say he's got a great opportunity now. Um, in that you could see this team sneaking into the, the, the top four. I don't think 14 points from seven games is um, an unfair reflection in the way they've played. Um, if you go through those matches, yes, the 2-1 win over Tottenham was fortunate uh, and that was a VAR decision that went in their favour and gave them three points when they probably would have ended up with none. But then their defeat at Manchester United um they certainly didn't deserve to lose that one. So they're, they're probably about where you'd expect them to be um, on performances. And if Tottenham continue to have their problems with Pochettino and, and you, Ian, and, um, uh, on Friday told us about the issues um, internal to the club with Pochettino um, in the dressing room and um, uh, lots of things there that can handicap what is 
obviously a better squad than Leicester City's and um, and give Leicester a chance to to finish up beside them, then we we can see where Arsenal and Manchester United are. I don't see Manchester United making top four with Solskjaer in charge. Um, and Chelsea have um, a battle on their hands because they're they're working with inexperience, um, both at managerial level and at playing level. So, so there's a chance there to get that um, that that Leicester team into the Champions League. And not only does he have a, a good squad as it stands, um, he has uh, an ownership with a degree of financial might that's not in the same level as the clubs we're comparing them to, but it's significant. They're in, in Premier League terms are definitely in the, the top seven in terms of um, having uh, the, the firepower to buy and improve their squad where they need to do so. And if they, they have a history of, of doing that well. And you could just look at this summer. I think probably um, Brendan Rodgers' biggest achievement um, in terms of handling the transfer market has been to take £85 million for a centre-back and improve his defence. I think his defence is better um, for having Kagler Soinchu alongside Johnny Evans, who said before people in football um, who watched Leicester a lot would say Johnny Evans was the better of the two centre-backs, more important the two centre-backs in terms of organising the defence last season. And Soyuncu is a, a very talented um, player who has a lot more pace than Maguire and um, although he is like Maguire um, prone to the occasional um, error uh, in decision making um, he has that recovery pace and, uh, and I think the balance of him and Evans is working better uh, for Leicester uh, than, than what they had previously so when you do that as a manager your owner's for sure, are going to be very happy about your um, stewardship of the club and that you're, you've taken £85 million and, uh, and promoted a player they'd already invested a you know a decent transfer fee and I think they bought Soyuncu for €20 million Euros into the squad and um, you know, you're increasing value from every perspective with a move like that. It's interesting um, that Brendan Rodgers' career... Um, from the outset in management, obviously after he left as head of Chelsea's academy, um, he has moved quite a lot in the initial part, Duncan, um, around three championship sides, Watford, Reading, etc., um, before going to Swansea and then have, getting them promoted. Uh, then obviously taking the job at Liverpool, being sacked and then going to Celtic and achieving um, back-to-back trebles and uh, an invincible season, uh, Champions League, relatively good, not brilliant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and but people were critical in Scotland of his decision to leave. Um, I think the phrase used was "you've swapped immortality for mediocrity," um, referring to the opportunity that Celtic may have to beat the record nine titles in a row. But I think Rogers is his own man. Uh, he is ambitious. He's still a young man as well. I think. He sees Leicester City as a great opportunity, as you've said, but I don't think he sees it as his staging post in football in terms of him being there for a very long time. And if he does get Leicester at Champions League contention, then let's just say he stayed for one season after this uh, and played out those Champions League games. There's no reason that I can see why a club like Tottenham or even Arsenal wouldn't consider him 
for the job there. And the, those now being established, well, not for the last two seasons, in Arsenal's case, top four clubs, then, you know, his opportunity would be to prove himself once again. I do agree with you that being a Liverpool manager may well rule out being Manchester United manager. And also Chelsea has a, one of their own legends there. However, you know, we hear little rumours about Jurgen Klopp here and there. Is there and he said he wants Stephen Gerrard to, to um, uh, be the next manager after he leaves. I'm not sure that Brendan wouldn't be up for a return to Anfield. Well, I think I think Tottenham. I think you're right to identify Tottenham as a potential um, step up for him and a club that might be interested in hiring him. I think um, Daniel Levy's had a, a long look at him in the past. Chelsea, I think, is also um, an obvious place because of his history working there, um, known by Roman Abramovich. So, where things to to go? Um, South for Frank Lampard, and I think they would have to go a long way south because because Lampard is is likely to get a sustained opportunity and run to to make this happen, particularly because he's doing what Abramovich wants and and, and promoting academy players and using them in the team and saving saving the owner um, money. I think Chelsea were Lampard to go, then Rodgers would be a candidate for that. But I think the the question you've got asked for. Um, what was Brendan Rodgers in his next job is um, would he be prepared to give his life for his next job as well? Oh, there's always one, isn't there? He remembers every single word. Especially you, Duncan. I try not to remember every single word of Brendan Rodgers. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. But the fact you do means that he's doing his job properly. It's been a bit of a manager fest on today's questions and answers because obviously it's that time of the year when clubs are looking at the performances. Um, November is often seen, especially the um, October and November uh, international breaks, as uh, has been traditionally seen as the culling uh, period for managers in the Premier League who are not living up to expectations. And of course, you have that two-week hiatus whereby famously or infamously uh, club boards can decide uh, whether or not um, they can stand their current manager and indeed give themselves some time to bring someone else in and get them to train the players up that they have available before going into the next part of the season and of course the other factor is do we trust this guy to spend our money in the January transfer window now one guy who's on the market and who's Sammy at 1679 has identified Someone who we've spoken about on the Transfer Window podcast uh, in the last couple of weeks is Max Allegri, former Juventus coach, very, very successful, who, as we've reported, has both uh, been learning English and Spanish since February of this year. Now, Sammy's asked, I think, a, a very pertinent question because it's all gone a bit quiet on Max. And he said, what's going on with Allegri? I don't hear his name being called out for top jobs, Duncan. And he's probably the best around. Um, do we think that's the case? Or my tendency in these situations, in terms of my experience, is that managers who um, publicly opine their interest in any given job or situation that may um, open up a successor are the ones who are not actually in contention. Take note, super size. Um, and usually the guys who are being contacted privately by clubs um, 
to ask about would they like to come here in these circumstances in the next month or so are the ones who are actually the lead contenders for jobs. So I'm not sure, Sammy, from my point of view, that Allegri's name not being in the media for certain jobs is means that he's not being asked or contacted. Um, Duncan, what would your um, opinion be on that? Well, Allegri's in a, a very strong position um, in terms of deciding what he wants to do next. And he's, a, he's an extremely ambitious manager. He has stated publicly that he wants to coach in the Premier League in the future, but he wants to do it with the right conditions. It's not a case of, I will take on whatever um, big name Premier League club offers me a job first. He wants to know that he can go there and have a, a very good chance of winning the Premier League title, winning the Champions League. He's been approached by clubs in the past, Chelsea, um, prominent amongst those, and knocked back um, those approaches because nothing has come to him that has been correct. And he's also kind of played a canny game with Juventus over that four-year period where he won um, the Italian title again and again and got quite close to winning the Champions League in that there was uh, at least a couple of those seasons where Juventus didn't know whether he was going to stay or not and Allegri was ready to leave and used that readiness as a um, as a power play to get more of what he wanted in the transfer market and more control of the squad. So I think that gives you an insight into his character and, and his thinking. Um, he was sat by Juventus um, against, basically against the wishes of the owner. Um, this was a decision that was taken by the, the sporting director and um, uh, Fabio Paratici and Pavel Nedved. They pushed for a change of manager and um, the Agnelli family went along with that. But um, as a mark of respect to um, Allegri, they, uh, the Agnelli family said they would keep him on his full salary for an entire year um, uh, as a compensation and, and basically you know, explained the situation that they didn't want to see him leave, but um, the, the people who they entrusted with control of football matters had advised them to do so, so it was time to, to split ways. What that means is that Allegri is in a position where he can take a proper sabbatical um, comfortably, and, and he's told people close to him that that is his intention. He, he does want to get back into management, but it will be next season. He wants a full pre-season. He wants to be able to work with the club and transfer policy. He wants to go in optimum conditions. Um, he, I'm told, has quite a complex um, family life. Um, and the sabbatical was appealing to him from that perspective and being able to spend more time with a lot of people close to him um, and his family who are, are split amongst different cities in Italy. So that, that's another incentive not to, to jump back into a job. Um, having said all of that, he does, uh, talking to people close to him uh, and asking them, does that mean that under no circumstances would he return to management during the season. They'll say, well, he's saying that, but you can never rule it out with Allegri. Um, this is a man who, when he was a footballer, um, was engaged 
to be married and uh, decided on the day of his wedding that he didn't want to marry um, his fiancée and pulled out of the wedding for those reasons. So he can make very important and uh, emotional decisions in a short period of time. Um, I was going to say, Duncan, no wonder his family life is complex. <laughs> <laughs> those two things might not be unconnected, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, you know, he he, he throws the first stone, etc. <laughs> no comment. Um, so, what what will he do if Manchester United were to come looking for him? Well, I I think he would survey and see what other options are available to him. He'd play that very carefully. Um, I'm told that he is aware that the Manchester United job might open up, but I'm told that there has not been any um, direct contact with him at this stage, So, which fits with what we are hearing from the board and their position, um, that they will remain patient with Solskjaer and they're pleased with what he's doing. But um, clearly, that's the obvious um, opportunity that is most likely to open in the Premier League of the, of the large clubs. You also have the potential of Tottenham Hotspur because of what the, the situation we've explained to you with um, Maurizio Pochettino in recent podcasts. Um, and I, I think that would also be an attractive um, post uh, for Allegri in the sense that um, it's a stronger squad, um, stadium, etc. built, uh, living in London, all, all those um, aspects. So I think, I think you've just got to wait and see with Allegri and... Um, and main reason you have to wait and see is, is really he's under no pressure whatsoever to make a decision. He's not desperate to get back into the game. He's had a, a long and demanding period at Juventus. Um, he feels he needs a sabbatical. He wants to make the most of that sabbatical. And he knows that the jobs will come. And, uh, you know, you, you don't have to be <laughs> very um, experienced as a football manager to realise that that's the way the market works. And you just look at what's happening with, with Zinedine Zidane um, and Jose Mourinho at, at present. Um, you know, Mourinho being the, the preferred choice to replace Zidane at Madrid. Um, just, you know, we're still inside a year from him being dismissed as Manchester United manager and, um, and now he's um, a, a very strong candidate to become manager of the most affluent club in the world. Um, if you are a manager of that status, if you're a manager who has demonstrated your credentials by winning domestic titles and um, winning the Champions League, in Allegri's case, getting close to winning the Champions League, there will always be opportunities. Um, managers of the big clubs will always be sacked and the big clubs will eventually come knocking on your door. Um, and Allegri's taking the, the calculated route and, and uh, waiting to decide when it suits him um, where best to go next. It's that time of the week, of course, uh, where we give out the prestigious Donkey Award. Um, as you know, we rack our brains and try our best to bring you uh, both the most um, competent, I wouldn't say that, Duncan, not competent, uh, but certainly the most entertaining um, nominations as well as uh, the person who we named the award after. I think we've excelled ourselves in the current uh, climate for today's. Um, I'm sure most of you will know that uh, the former coach of Sir Mo Farah, Alberto Salazar, has been banned from uh, 
participating in athletics for four years, having found guilty of doping allegations. Uh, so we're going to name this week's donkey after the athletics coach, and it will be the Alberto Salazar Award for breaking records in a somewhat undesirable or unwanted fashion. Let me just uh, tear open the uh, golden envelope, Duncan, and we shall find out who the uh, nominations are. Uh, well, where else to start? But Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, for all the reasons that you stated at the top of the podcast, um, has broken all sorts of records, including uh, Manchester United's worst start to a top division campaign in 30 years. Least goals scored away from home. Least goals scored more than one in uh, 15 matches, I think you said, Duncan. I don't think I need to go through them again. I think we can just leave Oli where he is because I want to move on to one of our old friends. I think he actually may have won a donkey already um, in the past year or so. And that is Real Madrid captain Sergio. He could start a fight in an empty house, Ramos, for his record of red cards, which is uh, indeed a European, I think, and possibly a world record as well for red cards in his senior career. However, my own personal favourite has to be um, going back a few years now here, Duncan, but I'm sure you remember that when the then England captain Terry Butcher signed for Rangers Football Club under the stewardship of Graham Souness, uh, he had no idea what he was getting himself into, which was made absolutely clear when he later admitted that uh, in the dressing room when asked by uh, a teammate what kind of music he liked, he confessed to liking U2 and Simple Minds. Now, remember, Terry was a keen drummer at the time as well. He was then rather shocked to discover that both U2 and Simple Minds were big Celtic fans, in his own words. And at that point, he broke uh, he uh, well, he broke a few unwanted records of his own because it was vinyl in those days, and he basically smashed up his entire record collection of those two bands. And again, and I quote, I threw them out the back window of my house. So. Um, Duncan, who will the Alberto Salazar Award for breaking records in an unwanted fashion go to this week? Well, I'm going to I'm going to um, exclude um, our friend Solskjaer from this award because um, I, I suspect he's not finished breaking unwanted records yet. So let's let's get such an optimistic outlook, just like Ollie himself. <laughs> Completely unlike Ollie himself. Um, Sergio Ramos, obviously a, a strong con- candidate there. Um, yes, a, a man who, who can't go through a, through a season without picking up um, multiple red cards. Um, would have been nice to have seen him get a, a red card for that, um, I think it was the UEFA award ceremony um, last year uh, when he, he clutched his, um, his uh, hand on Mo Salah's uh, shoulder um, as he walked past them to, to pick up his own award um, just after well, a, f- a few months after he'd taken Mo Salah out of that Champions League final um, so that I think would have been quite funny if he'd got to the stage and been brandished a red card by um, by uh, the UEFA uh, Master of Ceremonies Oh, that, I, that would have been insane it, it wasn't a Laria unfortunately at that point but yeah <laughs> it wasn't Um but I think this has to go to Terry Butcher. I hadn't actually heard that story before, so I think that story is so um, amusing um, that he deserves uh, his uh, transfer podcast award to be sent to him, and maybe he can uh, chuck that one out the, the, the back window as well. 
<laughs> he he daren't not if he realizes just how valuable that gold statue of your head is. Um, Terry Butcher, it's in the post to your lovely hotel in Bridge of Allen. Uh, we hope you um, display it on the fireplace and um, introduce your B&B guests to why you received it. So that concludes today's podcast for Wednesday. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it and uh, we look forward to uh, engaging with you again on Friday's uh, podcast. Uh, if you want to continue the debate, of course, we are very open to that. Please do so on the official Twitter handle at Transfer Podcast, as well as individually at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. Um, please do that. You know that we love to get involved and have a chat with you guys, uh, as we have done today in terms of answering your questions. Um, other than that, if you like what you heard, please do us a favour, go onto iTunes, give us that five-star review, Community gets bigger, debate gets bigger, we all benefit. Nothing to lose in that one. As for now, uh, it just says, uh, leaves it for me to say we shall see you through the transfer window on Friday. And thanks for listening. Hey.